to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for the ASHP Pharmacy Leadership Podcast. This series focuses on leadership topics within pharmacy practice, including the business of pharmacy, development of leadership skills, career transitions, and more. My name is Laura Vetkovich, and I will be your host. I am the Pharmacy Manager of Formula Utilization, Quality, and Regulatory at University of Missouri Healthcare. And today we are going to sit down with three speakers to talk about an introduction to the peer review process. And with me today, we have Elise McDonald from the Stanford University, who is the Director of Pharmacy Services for the Investigational Drug Service. We have Dave Peterson, who is a Drug Information Specialist at the University of Utah Drug Information Service, and also Sean Christensen, who is a Drug Information Specialist at the University of Utah Drug Information Service as well. And so we'll jump into our questions today. And so we'll first start off with describing what is the peer review process? Dave, could you tell us a little bit about what is the peer review process? Yeah, I'd love to to address that. So the peer review process is really the process by which uh, a manuscript is submitted to a journal, and then that journal has a neutral party join and review that manuscript before it is published and to help decide if that manuscript should be published in that specific journal. So there are several different things that the reviewer is looking for when you perform peer review. First and foremost, looking to ensure that the manuscript fills a need in the current body of literature. That doesn't mean it needs to be the first article of its type, but say we have a common adverse event to a drug and we already have 30 case reports published about that. We probably don't need another case report. Maybe we need some other type of study. So uh, there's not really a clear definition for what it means for there to be a gap in the literature, but that's one of the things we're looking for. Like, does this fill a need? It's also the peer reviewer is responsible for ensuring that the article is appropriate for the scopes and aims of that specific journal. So if it's going to like AJHP, it should be related to pharmacy. It's probably not going to be related to the orthopedic surgery and like the the mechanics of the surgery, it should be related to to drug therapy in some way or or other scopes that fall within that journal's uh, spectrum. You want to also, as a reviewer, review the soundness of methodology, make sure that the study was performed correctly, that that's described in a way that the reader can understand what happened and also to help refine and improve the manuscript before it is published. What it really isn't, and we'll go into this more a little bit later, is it's not a thorough proofreading or copy editing. I think that's the biggest mistake, and we'll we'll kind of jump into that a bit later. It's a different scope than just going through and editing a manuscript. Uh, Elise, do you have anything you want to add that I that I missed? Dave, I think you did a really good job describing what the peer review process is. And so just want to make note that we're looking for what the article, as a peer reviewer, you're looking for what the article will contribute to the existing literature, right? Like, as Dave mentioned, we are not we are not rewriting the, manus- the manuscript by any means. You know, we're not going through every detail of their data and, you know, how they collected the data. It's it's more on like what is in the manuscript itself, how does it make sound and 
sense scientifically and how it contributes to a gap potentially that's in the literature uh, currently. Great. Thank you for sharing. Well, before we get into the nuts and bolts of doing a peer review, let's let's talk a little bit about how each of you got involved in the peer review process. Sean, we'll start with you. How did how did you get involved in the peer review process? Yeah, I was introduced to peer review as a resident, actually, in my drug information rotation here at University of Utah Health. And I hadn't really gotten into peer review prior to that because I just graduated from pharmacy school. I didn't really feel like I had enough time. I didn't feel like I had enough experience under my belt really to jump in. And I, I didn't really know how to throw my hat into that ring in the first place. And I had this experience as a learner, which really kind of helped to buoy my confidence up, which I'll we can talk about a little later. But really, through that experience, I felt more confident in my ability to critically evaluate a piece of literature. It does take a little bit of time, but it's not nearly as much time as I expected it to take. Um, and I felt a lot more comfortable with how I can stay involved in peer review in the future after, you know, after having that experience. Great. Thanks, Sean, for sharing. Dave, how did you get involved in the peer review process? My story is very similar to Sean's, just happened a few decades before it did for Sean. Actually, Linda Tyler was my, my RPD when I did my drug information residency. She, You may know her as a former president of ASHP, and she felt like it was important to involve residents in, in peer review. So she actually helped me through my first peer review assignment as part of my residency I kind of noticed that this isn't something that we go into depth in in uh, like college of pharmacy curricula. Like we mentioned peer review and we've mentioned its importance for articles, but we don't really teach people how to do it. And then we end up with a lot of pharmacists. I know a lot who have been practicing for several years and have never really been participated in that because they don't know where to start. So kind of my experience led me to, to, to decide that if this was really going to happen, residency is a great place for it to happen. And if someone actually has experience with it during residency, it might be something that they continue throughout their career. So that's, I kind of tried to recreate that experience that Linda gave me for Sean during his residency. That's kind of why Sean and I are both with you today, because we can look at both sides of that spectrum. Great. I love, I love that idea of involving our learners and our residents in, in the process. So uh, Elise, tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the peer review process. Yeah, thanks, Laura. Um, very similar to Dave and Sean, you know, as a learner, I got involved. I don't think I had any experience as a student, but I I do remember during my CGY one year getting a little bit of an exposure to the peer review process. And then also, when I did my PGY2 in drug information, um, I certainly uh, had experience or opportunity to help with the peer review process on a couple articles that had come through to the preceptors in the drug information service where I did my PGY2 residency. So, so very similar to Dave and Sean's exposure route. You know, I don't know if I didn't have that experience if I would be as involved in peer review, I think it's very important to to expose learners as much as you can to various areas of pharmacy practice, right? And it may not be the conventional pharmacy practice, but, you know, with peer review, I, 
we have pharmacists in all different specialties. So I'm hoping they're reviewing literature in their specialty. And when they have a learner on rotation with them, they ask that learner if they, they want, you know, to have this experience or not. Of course, it's, it's not necessarily something you maybe want to force onto someone um, if they don't want to do it. But I think, you know, even if they don't want to do it, 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 it's a good idea to have a discussion with them on on what peer review is and, and what they do, just so that there's some exposure so that maybe when they feel a bit more comfortable, they can become involved in it. But I think, you know, as a learner, that's when it's okay for you to to make a mistake, if you will, like in the peer review, because you're working with your preceptor. And so you shouldn't feel scared from my perspective. You know, sometimes it's just ripping off the Band-Aid and just doing it and trying it, and then maybe you will like it um, <laughs> and see the value in it, of course. So, you know, I think all three of us have very similar experiences, but I think that's also, that's okay. I think it, it just goes to show that that we've had people who were interested in us learning this process. And Elise brings up a great point. I mentioned just residents, but it's- Definitely, you can involve students in this, really any learner. And I've had some exceptional uh, experience involving students with this as well. I primarily bring up residents because I end up being the primary preceptor for more residents. But all the residents and students I've worked on this with have really, at least they've they've said that they enjoyed it. So I hope that that rings true. Well, let's move into a little bit more about the process of peer review. I think one of the questions that a lot of people have is, is, is what are the correct ways and the wrong ways um, of doing the peer review? So what are some things that we should keep in mind if you are invited to do a peer review that you should think about as you do that review? So at least we'll start with you this time. Um, what are some things that the reviewer should keep in mind? Yeah, thanks, Laura. This is a great question because as Dave and I had alluded to earlier on in the podcast, as much as we can, our focus shouldn't be on the grammar or editing the manuscript itself. Now, you know, there could be some instances where you perhaps would not recommend an article for publication due to maybe not being able to understand some of the wording or phrasing in the article that it might need to go back to the authors for clarification and then come back for re-review. So I don't want to say that it's not something that should totally be overlooked, but it's not the primary focus, I guess, of the peer review. And then I think another perspective is, I want to take it from the perspective of giving the feedback to the authors, because, you know, everyone has put in a lot of time into their manuscript when they submit it, right? And you don't, I don't know. I I guess I just take the approach of, you know, everyone's blood, sweat and tears, if you will, um, into a manuscript. And there's nothing more defeating than getting that manuscript back. And the comments from the authors are not very kind or, you know, it's okay to be direct, but you should be direct in a professional way and and not in an unprofessional way, I guess. (laughs) So being really mindful in how you're giving your critique of the article and the manuscript. And so I think, you know, as a peer reviewer, you're anonymous um, to the authors, but that shouldn't be, you know, an opening for you to be overly critical or to not be professional in your feedback to 
do the authors who spent a lot of time on their, their research project or, you know, if it's a thought piece, you know, whatever type of article uh, you may be peer reviewing. So I think that's, that's kind of what I wanted to focus on for this question. I'm sure Dave and Sean have some other kind of tips and tricks for the correct way for peer review. Sean, do you have anything you want to, to add at this point or you want me to jump in? Um, sure. I think kind of just piggybacking on what Elise said, you know, I think providing actionable items for the authors to work on is something that's important. You know, they're having been on the other end of submitting a piece or an article for publication. It's always interesting to get comments that you can't really do anything with, you know, so um, making sure that it's actionable. And also, again, kind of just saying what Elaborating on the leases, focusing on the work and not necessarily on the author. I mean, being civil there. Thinking about what type of references they, they're they using. So are the references that they're using up to date? Are they current? Is it the most up-to-date literature? Those are some of the things that, um, that I think about here. Fantastic. Thanks, Sean. So I alluded, those are all great examples that Sean and Elise shared, and I agree with all of those. I alluded to a few other things early on, kind of making sure you're looking at the journals, like the objectives of the journal, the scope of the journal. Uh, also, what, one thing we haven't talked about is most journals will have guidance for reviewers. Like if you go to the AJHP page, there's a document, I can't remember the exact title, but it, it tells you what to look for as a reviewer and like what parameters. Uh, so make sure you're doing that for whatever journal you review for. Uh, Elisa and I both have experience uh, on editorial boards. So those documents change depending on what journal it is. Elise, I believe is with AJHP, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I'm with the Journal of Pain and Palliative Care Pharmacotherapy. So processes for every journal are a little bit different, but all of those journals should have some guidance to, to let you know what to look for, how you're going to submit your information, what type of recommendation the journal is looking for, things like that. So look at those before you start. Uh, also, AJHP in 2017 did an excellent uh, series on peer review and what the expectations of authors and reviewers and editors. And I would say that's a great stopping point when you first want to get into this, because that will give you a lot of background information that is, there's a lot of experience that went into those articles. Um, so I, I, I usually still look back at those when I'm doing some review assignments that I'm struggling with. As Elise said, grammar and editing isn't a major thing, but echoing her comments, if the grammar is so poor that I have a hard time understanding, if it leads to comprehension problems, that's where, to me, that's going to become a note to the editor or something to say, I don't understand what they did because the grammar is so poor, or maybe a confidential note to the editor just saying, you know, this is going to require substantial editing before it reaches your audience so that the editor is aware. But I'm not going to go in and mark up all of my recommendations. It's more of an overall statement. At least Sean also talked about like being overly critical. I kind of want to balance that out. The review is not going to be all like sunshine and rainbows either, because really the process of peer review is to improve the manuscript. So it is going to be overall, it's going to be mostly constructive. You're going to give feedback on, hey, this is a great manuscript. I like the methodology and things like that. 
But the main purpose is to provide that constructive feedback. But it's, as Elise said, it's important to do that in a professional way. So don't be concerned if you're going through your review and most of your points are constructive because that that is the purpose. But do that in a kind, professional way. Keep any personal comments to yourself. Most reviews, again, will be, you'll have sections where you can, most of the comments will go to the author and the editor will also be able to see those. But for most journals, there's also a place to submit confidential comments to the editor. I would limit those. I mean, that's more where you would describe my limitations as a reviewer. Like maybe I say, I understand the statistics and the methodology, but this is regarding a disease state that I'm not super comfortable with. So bear that in mind that as I review, that's my focus. Or that's a place where I would might mention, hey, the grammar is really a challenge for this, this particular manuscript. But most of those comments should be going to the author because otherwise when the editor, if the editor needs to reject the paper and you haven't left adequate comments to back that up, it really puts the editor in a, in a kind of a sticky place where they're rejecting, but you haven't really supported why that should be rejected. So use the confidential comments to the editor sparingly. Most of the comments should be going to the author and then the editor will also be able to see them. And then something I see, I like AJHP, when you finish reviewing, they will send you the comments from other reviewers that also reviewed that article. And something I see really commonly is generally there's like three reviewers there. And it's pretty common to see one where there's just like two or three sentences on the entire manuscript. And they're not really very directed or focused or meaningful. And so I would say kind of, if you're not going to be able to do a good job of it that you might want to think about not accepting the, the assignment because it, it is important to kind of go through and, and provide something more than good job as far as a review goes. Great. Thank you all. Those are, those are some very good ideas to keep in mind while completing the peer review process. So I also know, um, we, I think earlier we've all mentioned, um, I think you all mentioned how you all were involved in the peer review process as a learner. And so as you've gone on in your careers, how do you involve the learner into the peer review process? Sean, we'll start with you. Um, what experiences have you had involving learners in this process? Yeah, thank you. And if it's okay, I may actually like speak to my experience as a learner to give that perspective. And then Dave and Elise, if you want to provide any extra, that's that's great. So I actually had a couple opportunities as a resident. The first one was in my drug information rotation with Dave. He was not my primary preceptor, but did involve me in this process. So there were there were a couple of things that worked really well and helped me feel more comfortable with the idea and the process of peer review. And the first was that we sat down and had a topic discussion about peer review. So we essentially did what we just talked about. We discussed my baseline understanding of the process and um, helped to fill in any gaps that I had. We talked about common rates of manuscript acceptance between different journals, just to give a good feeler there, like what expectations there are for reviewers, why it's important to be involved, how you can go about finding opportunities to do peer review, and then essentially what the final deliverable looks like for the journal that that you're doing peer review for. So is it a, you know, recommend publication or is it a, an accept with revision or um, reject, you know, outright? So 
um, thinking about what the what the journal is actually looking for. So then he talked through, we talked through the process of actually reviewing, which the recommendation was to do a, a first read through just for comprehension, um, and then to take a day or two to kind of let that marinate. Then a second read through was really where you kind of get into the weeds and go line by line, make comments, recommendations. And then if time allows, maybe a third read through to catch anything that you may have missed. Then the other thing that was really important and that really helped me through this process was scheduling a second meeting where we sat down and discussed what we found. This was really helpful so that we could discuss our thought processes, point out trends, provide tips that I may have missed. This really helped, um, as I mentioned, buoy my confidence as a learner and, and helped me to gain insight into thought processes from those who have a lot more experience than I did. And then also just kind of pointing out those resources that are available. So articles that are out there to um, help teach and give pointers on how to do the peer review process. So that was kind of my experience was as a learner and really helped me to feel comfortable with this whole process. Elise or Dave, anything else you'd like to add? Well, I can follow up, I guess, since I was the one that worked with Sean on that, and then Elise can fill in anything else. So I can't recall if Sean, when Sean did it, if there was more than just him. Were you alone, Sean, or was there, did we have another learner with you? We did have another learner, actually. Okay. There was, it was me and a student. Okay. Yeah, I think this is a, this is a great example. I like to work with, uh, you know, maybe two, three learners is maybe a, a bit too much, but I think with two, it's it's very interesting because that'd be myself and maybe a, a resident and a student. And it, each person comes up with different ideas and different thoughts. So I, I feel like involving the learner, not only is it good learning experience, but I think my it improves my reviews as well, because inevitably the resident and the student catch things that I may have missed. Uh, and I think that group of three is a really great size. Two is great as well. I really haven't done it much with like a group of four, so I can't speak to that, but I think it might, at some point, you might end up with diminishing returns because people have a little bit less personally invested as you have a larger group. So as far as deliverables, I always request that they the learners provide me with a Word document of their comments, usually kind of like a bulleted list. And then what I will do, we'll meet, we'll talk through it. And then it's fairly easy for me to take all those Word documents and just kind of compile them all into one thing, which then I can submit electronically through the portal. Uh, usually it's a web portal where you submit your reviews. And so that's that's really what kind of the other behind the scenes that just kind of tie up with what Sean said. Elise, do you have other thoughts on involving learners? Yeah, I think Dave and Sean did a really great job describing the process of incorporating a learner and then what to do as a preceptor to review the manuscript with the learners. Um, I also just want to add that each journal may be a little bit different as far as opening up the peer review to additional people other than the person that it was sent to originally. So you may need to reach out to the editor who contacted you to review the manuscript to see if it's okay for you to include a learner. Most journals, I think, are okay with that. Um, but if they don't specifically say, say it, it, it might be good to just reach out to the editor to, to just get that confirmation. 
because the manuscripts that are submitted um, that you're reading, it's all confidential uh, information. And, and so you don't want to break that confidentiality in any way. Excellent, excellent point, Elise. I, I think that generally, if there's nothing said about it, like involving other people, I'll, I'll always just send an editor letter, an email to the editor, and they're always quick to respond. I did notice on the most recent one I did for AJHP, there's space where you can actually fill out names of people who helped you. And so with that, I take that as them being okay with people helping you, and that saves me an email. So I'm, I'm glad to see that happening. But a lot of journals don't have anything. So in that case, I would get permission from the journal. AJHP now has that part of the submission process. Um, that's been a change more over the last few years versus how it, it was perhaps longer than that. So um, I think it's a great it's a positive, positive improvement because I think it shows the preceptors or the people who are reviewing that, that it's okay to involve the learners in the process. And they want the learners in the process because they're future pharmacists who will be potential peer reviewers. Well, thank you all for sharing that. I think, I think it's really great to hear about um, using our, our learners as well as the layered learning uh, process also we can incorporate. So. All right, well, let's get switch gears a little bit. And our next question is, what are some thoughts about um, when to accept an opportunity? What are some things that you should take into consideration before you say yes? And Elise, we'll start with you on this one. Yeah, thanks, Laura. This is a great question because you don't know when the ask will come through your, <laughs> your inbox, right? <laughs> so you may not be in a point, you know, maybe in your professional life or in your personal life where you can just take on one more task. So if you feel like you cannot take on one more task at that time, you can respectfully decline that particular request. Um, it doesn't mean you're going to be banned or barred from reviewing future articles. It's just that <laughs> you can't accept it at this time, <laughs> moment in time, right? And it's okay to say no. You know, another, another piece to consider is any potential conflict of interest. That you might have. I remember a few years ago, I had accepted a peer review for AJHP. And once I accepted that peer review, then I was able to access the manuscript. And so upon initial review of the manuscript, I thought that there could potentially be a conflict of interest um, because it was with a group that was at the same institution that I worked at at that time. And so I just reached out to the editor and just, I just asked, I said, Hey, this is, I didn't know this when I accepted the assignment, but I just want to let, let you know that this manuscript from, you know, my colleagues that work in a different part um, of the university, but you know, nonetheless, I still know them. I, you know, still interact with them. So I let the editor tell me if it was a truly, if it was truly a conflict of interest or not. And so we ended up being okay um, because I wasn't involved in the actual research of that was described in the manuscript. And I, I ended up uh, reviewing that, that article, you know, for AJHP at that time. But I think you know, if you think there's a potential conflict of interest, I think that, you know, is another perfect time to reach out to the editor earlier 
rather than later so that, you know, if there is truly a conflict of interest, you the editor has time to find um, additional peer reviewers uh, for that article. And then I think another thought that you need to think about when you're accepting a peer review opportunity is if the article is within your area of expertise and your area of scope and knowledge. And so I think it would be very difficult to provide feedback if the manuscript was was very outside of the scope of your practice or you didn't have any experience in, in that area. And I think that might set you up for failure potentially as a peer reviewer because you might revert to the things that we discussed earlier in the podcast of, quote, the wrong way to potentially do a peer review. So just keep that in mind as well when you're accepting a peer review opportunity. Okay, Rashawn, anything else to add? Yeah, I think Elise really touched on that. I seem to always get peer review assignments when I'm on vacation. I don't know if that's because I take too many vacations or if the timing is just off, but you know, I try to accept them whenever I can. Like Elise said, you're not obligated to accept those when they come in. I don't, I haven't really tracked this, but my, my feeling is if you are rejecting them every single time, eventually you might stop getting asked. So I don't think there's ever a time when it's like, oh, I've just got a free week. I like with nothing going on, there's always something. So I try and think like, can I reasonably fit this in? And if the deadline is two weeks and I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen. I might email the editor and say, hey, I couldn't do this in the time allotted, but I could do it in three weeks. If you want, like, let me know. And usually they'll say, yeah, we're happy. If you'll do it, that's great. So that's kind of an option to think about time-wise. Uh, scope and knowledge, what Elise said was great. I think, you know, usually you get to say what your scope is. Well, it depends. Some journals, they don't really have any portal for peer reviewers where you go in and, but the one for AJHP is really well developed where you click on like what type, what are your areas of, of uh, expertise? One of mine is meta-analysis. So it's kind of interesting because I'll get meta-analyses about disease states that I don't know anything about. So that's usually for me, an email to the editor and saying, hey, I, I'm reviewing this because I understand the meta-analysis aspects, but I'm not super familiar with the, the disease states. So and usually I'll say, that's fine. We'll make sure we get another reviewer to look at this who is an expert for the disease state. But that's that's kind of another good conversation point to have. So I think those are kind of my main things. And if you're getting more assignments than you can handle, like consider going into that reviewer portal and maybe uncheck a few boxes. So you're just getting the ones that are highest interest. The more boxes you have checked, the more opportunities you're going to have is kind of my experience. So you can kind of gauge things and slow the flow if you need to, or increase by, by, by doing that. Great. Those are some good points to consider. Well, we'll wrap up here with one last question and that's how to get involved. So if you listen to this podcast and you haven't really been involved in the peer review process and you want to get involved, what are some different ways to get involved? And Elise, we'll start with you again. What are some ways that you would recommend getting involved in the peer review process? Yeah, no, thanks, Laura, for the question. I think there are different ways to approach um, how to get involved. If you're listening and you're a new practitioner or a student, you can ask your preceptors. You can ask people that you work closely with and say, hey, if you get a peer review request, 
um, can I help or can I be involved? I, I can't imagine anyone saying no, but, you know, I think kind of taking part with someone else, especially for your first peer review is, is a good way to start. You know, you could be out of residency or school for, for quite some time, but I still think it can be a daunting process to do the peer review if you've never done it before. So I don't, I don't think there should be any shame in, in asking uh, to kind of buddy up with someone um, who, who's done it before. And then I want to point out that when you're doing the peer review, you're accepting that responsibility. And so you shouldn't take it lightly. And you just never know what opportunities may come from doing the peer review. I've done peer reviews a lot for AJHP, and, and I've always put the time into submitting a thoughtful peer review because one, I think the authors deserve it. And two, also, you know, it's important for the advancement of the practice of pharmacy with doing the peer review for AJHP. And then, and then I think, you know, with doing, having those opportunities and, and putting forth positive, great effort, I think that that led to the opportunity for me to be on the editorial board for AJHP as well. So you just never know what opportunities will present themselves because you've said yes to something else as well. So those are my thoughts, but love to hear if Sean or Dave have have any other other ideas on how to get involved. Yeah, thanks. So if you're publishing a manuscript that Whoever you're publishing through may may end up asking if you'd be interested in being a peer reviewer. So that's that's a potential avenue that that you can pursue in the future. Or if you have like a specific disease state that you're really interested in, you can always find a journal that publishes those type of articles and just email the editors to see or the author contact to see if they have open opportunities for peer review. And I'm sure journals all over the place are, are always looking for peer reviewers. They would probably not turn you away. So those are some some options. And and like Dave and Elise have mentioned, you know, AJHP has a pretty robust portal that you can go into to get involved with their peer review process and and click on you know the your your areas of interest. Uh, yeah, I think Elise and Sean really covered that really covered that well. I think for the most part, find your journal, see if they have a portal. If they have a portal, a lot of times you can just sign up yourself, submit your CV, your areas of expertise, and wait and see if you get assignments. If they don't have a portal, don't be afraid to to email the editor and just let them express your interest and see what happens. You may get something, you may not, depending impact factor, everything else. Some journals may have all the reviewers they need, but I, most journals, I think, are, are always looking for more quality peer reviewers. So, Great. I think those are some great ideas to get involved. Well, that's all the time we have today. I'd like to thank our speakers today, uh, Dr. Dave Peterson, Dr. Elise McDonald, and Dr. Sean Christensen. Thank you all for your thoughts and your insights on this topic entitled Introduction to peer review. You can find more member-exclusive content, including resources for self-development, leading pharmacy enterprises and teams, and practice management on the ASAP website. Thank you for joining us. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the at ASHP official podcast. Thank you for joining. Thank you for listening to ASHP official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. 
be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.